Good morning, friends from uh, Resurrection OC. Um, it's good to be with you again. Uh, I invite you at home to join with me in the reading of Scripture this morning. If you will or uh, able, just join me by standing up in your living room as I read the Scripture for us from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Uh, Paul wrote this, So it is with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born of the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. But behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must also put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? But the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers... Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is God's Word. Uh, I want to begin by telling you a story about a friend of mine who works for this ministry called RUF that I work for and Bryce used to work for. But he's in St. Louis. His name is Michael Gordon. Uh, When Michael was in college, he uh, got connected to this program at his local church that had families that would invite them into their home for meals. And so he gets a call midweek from a family that says, hey, would you like to come over for dinner this weekend? And Michael said, sure, I'd love to do that. And the woman uh, followed up by saying, our kids are very excited to meet you. They can't wait for you to come over. And Michael found that a little bit odd, but you know, being 19 years old and having any affirmation from any human being in the world sounds awesome. So he uh, shows up at their house, knocks on the door, and he hears Uh, The kids running to the door, yelling, he's here, he's here, he's here. They uh, come with incredible excitement, open the door. They look up and they go, who are you? And he said, hey, I'm Michael Gordon. And they go, oh. And they walked away disappointed. And so Michael, totally confused, walks in the house, makes his way to the table, and the mom pulls him aside and says, I'm so sorry. I have to apologize to you and explain. When the children were told that you were coming over, they thought we said we were having Michael Jordan over for dinner, not Michael Gordon. Now, here's, uh, here's why I tell you that story. Because I think the average Christian, uh, and 
the average person who is skeptical of belief and faith and doesn't know what they do believe thinks that heaven is at best a boring consolation. Um, it's better than hell, but uh, something to um, look forward to, something to build our life on, not really. Uh, not really at all. Um, but for the early Christians, um, I want to pause with you this morning because what they thought of heaven was that this was the reality, that this was the promise uh, worth building your life on, that the reason that they went out and put themselves in harm's way for people that the government had thrown to the side uh, was because of their belief in heaven. Uh, the reason that they were uh, bound to build relationships uh, with people who it made sociologically no sense to make relationships with, it was because of their view of heaven. Um, and the, uh, the reason that they were willing to give themselves for the kingdom of God to the point where Nero would throw them in the fire. Um, they went singing hymns because of their view of heaven. Now, some of you might be uh, listening to me and going, um, Alex, this is intriguing, but I didn't read really anything in there about heaven. All I saw was uh, language about the resurrection. Well, because the early church, when they talked about heaven, they didn't talk about it the way you and I commonly hear it talked about. The only category that they had for thinking about heaven was the resurrection of Jesus. So that when they talked about it, they did it in memories and in conversation about what Jesus was like and uh, what he, his experience post-resurrection taught them. Uh, they didn't think about heaven as like going up to heaven or like these disembodied spirits or uh, walking on streets of gold. They only thought about it in terms of what Jesus showed them those 40 days. Uh, N.T. Wright says it this way. He says, The early church's hope is remarkably consistent and uniform. It's centered on resurrection rather than simply life after death. In fact, the early church almost never talked about going up to heaven when one died. And if they did, they taught that heaven was just a temporary stop on the way to the new heavens and the new earth. Listen, what Paul gives us here in this text is uh, an amazing uh, group of promises that uh, embody and tell us about what is coming for Christians in heaven. And uh, if we will believe it and grab a hold of it, uh, just like the early church, it has the potential to make us, as verse 58 says, a community of people that is steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. And, and giving ourselves to things that make no sense in this world, but knowing it's never in vain because we know what's coming. So I want to give you three, uh, three of those things that are in this text uh, that will help us become a people like that. And that's uh, the finality of heaven, uh, the power of heaven, and thirdly, uh, the resolution of heaven. So first, let's look at the finality of heaven. Uh, did you notice what it says in verse 54? Uh, Paul is talking about uh, this moment that will come to pass. And then he quotes this early church hymn. And he says, uh, the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And he asks these two questions. Oh, death, where is your victory? And oh, death, where is your sting? Paul is saying here that at the moment of heaven, uh, death uh, and death here is uh, sort of a penultimate of all of the awful experiences that you and I taste like sadness and loneliness 
and heartache and isolation and judgment and condemnation and fear and uh, you know everything painful that drags us down and, and like depression that death and all of its friends are going to be thrown into a pit and swallowed up forever. Uh, do you remember uh, at the end or at the beginning of uh, Return of the Jedi? Uh, where Jabba the Hutt takes Luke Skywalker out to the pit of Sarlacc and he's going to throw him and his friends in there and uh, make them suffer. And it says, uh, be digested over a thousand years. Um, what, what Paul is saying here is that at the moment, this moment in history, what heaven will do is it will take death and all of its friends and it will toss them into a pit to suffer and be digested, not just for a thousand years, but for forever. And it will bring a finality, not to uh, the best parts of our life here, but to the parts of life that we can no longer bear. Uh, and how will it do this? Because of the next thing it says, O oh, death, where is your sting? See, what we're told here is that uh, what heaven will do is it, is it changes our relationship to death. Uh, that in our natural life, death has a sting. The Greek word there for sting, it, it, it sort of refers to like uh, a scorpion and sort of the venom and poison that is uh, trapped in its sting so that like death has fangs uh, when it unleashes into our natural life. And what uh, heaven will do is change our relationship with death so that death is no longer something to dread and fear and it's no longer a period to a sad sentence. It is an unleashing into an amazing new life because it ends the pain. Thomas Watson, um, in his great treatise on the, the Christian's uh, new relationship to death, he says, at the moment of heaven, what will happen is that uh, death will give us things. He says, death will give us this. Death will put an end to the believer's sins. Two, death will put an end to the believer's temptations. A three, death will put an end to the believer's fears. Four, death will dry up our, all of our believer's tears. Five, death will put an end to the believer's troubles. Uh, six, death will put an end to the believer's cares. Seven, death will put an end to all of our natural imperfections. Uh, eight, death will put an end to the imperfections of grace. That is our, our, um, our inability to receive love as grace, like with no strings attached, no caveats, nothing wondering why is somebody doing this for me. Uh, and, and our inability to give love uh, without strings attached and without uh, gritted teeth. He says that will end. Uh, and nine, death will put an end to a weary pilgrimage. See, Thomas Watson and Paul are telling us this. Life is one of two things. It's either right now is the best experiences you can possibly find in this, you know, possibly find. And you better soak it up because what death will do is it will end the, the best parts of life and it will usher in darkness, sadness, loneliness, and pain. Or this life is actually more full of tears uh, more full of heartache, more full of pain, which is pretty much what 2020 uh, feels like it's giving to a lot of us. 
And what death will do for the Christian is actually in that and usher in something totally different. Now, let, let me apply this pastorally for us. Because a lot of you are feeling this in heavier ways than others. And one of the tendencies uh, when life gets uh, really heavy and the pain uh, gets unbearable is we can begin to think that this is our allotment in life and that this will not end and that we're only just going to taste this. And what that can do is that can begin to harden our hearts that it can rob us of a bit of humanity. And I want you to know that if you feel that, that that is not a lack of faith. And that is not a lack of piety. But I do want to warn you that the belief that this will never end and that there is no finality and that this is just a painful sentence with no period can be a lack of faith. Because what we're promised here in this text is a finality to all of that stuff and that heaven will bring that for us. And you're promised that in the name of Jesus' resurrection. That's the first promise, the finality brought in by heaven. But secondly, we're also promised the power of heaven. Uh, Do you notice what Paul says in the early part of this text when he says uh, in verse 42, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And so what Paul is doing here in these three verses is he's comparing and contrasting uh, the natural body uh, with the spiritual body. And uh, from the immediate reading, what it seems like he's doing is saying the natural body, uh, which is full of uh, weakness, dishonor, and is perishable, that's uh, descriptive of our life here. But the world to come, heaven to come, is going to bring us the spiritual body, which is uh, full of power, uh, full of honor, and is imperishable. Um, but uh, what that sounds like is at best, uh, the world to come in heaven is going to be a great, is going to be a good consolation for this difficult experience. Uh, and it's, it's this kind of, as Nietzsche has said, pie in the sky uh, promise for us. But look, I, what, what Paul is actually doing here is way more powerful. Uh, and it's actually way more profound because look what he says uh, in the next verse, in verse 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Now, if you have your Bible in front of you, I want you to notice that when Paul says, um, thus it is written, there's quotation marks around the first man, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. And if you have a footnote in your Bible, what it will tell you is that he's quoting Genesis 2 there. Now, here's why that is really significant. Because Paul is quoting a part of Adam's life that is pre-sin, that is without pain, that is without tears, that is without uh, fear, that is without sorrow, that is without isolation, that is without hate, that is without all the things that sort of mark the pain of our life. And he is saying that uh, the world to come is going to be so full of power, so full of honor, so full of glory that when we come face to face with it, the original creation that uh, God himself gave a benediction and said it is good, and uh, and he rested after he made it, we're going to look back on that and say that it is, uh, that was full of dishonor, and that was full of weakness, and that was full of just pain. Um, 
And the part that had no sin, we're just going to look back on it as a terrible memory. It's going to be like, um, you know, the original iPhone. You know, when we... Um, when you look back on that now, compared to the iPhones we walk around with, we're like, can you believe anybody was looking at that and tried to type with that and had that kind of technology? It just is embarrassing. Um, the promise given here for the power of heaven it, it is saying, listen, we're not just going to get back what we lost. We're going to get something that we've never had before. And it's going to be indescribably powerful better than we could possibly imagine. Uh, do any of you know what a mantis shrimp is? Um, it's an unbelievable animal. And one thing we know about it is a mantis shrimp uh, apparently has uh, uh, 16 types of color receptive cones. Uh, a butterfly has five. Uh, and a human being um, has three. And what that means... Uh, is that scientifically we can only see about 15% of the beauty of this world that a mantis shrimp sees. Now, think about this. Um, all of the beauty that's possible to witness, like a sunset at Big Sur, or the northern cliffs of Ireland, or, or the polar ice caps, or the Swiss Alps, or some of the beaches in the morning, um, some of the views, some of the parks, some of the flower gardens, uh, some of the most majestic things that we are able to witness and taste that feel like droplets of what the world should have been and could have been. Look, we're, it's possible we're only seeing like 15% of that. And if, if this text is true, we're going to be unleashed into a, an ability to see and know and taste and hear and, and be with things that we didn't even know were possible. Um, I mean, do, do any of us think if this text is true, we'll be unleashed into a lesser beauty than a mantis shrimp can see and taste in this world? See, we're not going to be given just back what the world could have been. We're going to be given something that we never even have had a goal for. Look, our longings for uh, humans to be giving, our longings for humans to be sacrificial, our longing for our fellow man, uh, to take care of this world, our longing uh, for our human beings uh, to be supportive of us, to be encouraging, uh, to find great leaders, to find people uh, to be vulnerable with, to find uh, people uh, to uh, enable us to become better people, uh, to find purposes, to find mission, to find satisfaction. Look, even the best goals that we have in this world, do you know that they're going to feel like one bad night in an inconvenient hotel in the world to come? It's going to be that powerful. And, and what this means for us in 2020 is that um, for those of us that are uh, living lives that are disappointing, do you know you're missing out on nothing in this world? Nothing. You are missing out on nothing in this world. In fact, the only thing that we can miss out on in light of the power of heaven is if we don't live every day in the freedom and joy like the best is yet to come. That's the only thing that we can miss out on. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, the, the German pastor who stood up to uh, the evil Nazi regime on the way to his execution was quoted as saying, 
Death is the supreme festival on the road to freedom. Don't you want to think that uh, your death is nothing more than an unleashing into a life that is really the best yet to come? Because, listen, what the power of heaven promises is, is that the freedom you can have now is to know that even the, the death, something horrible that can be thrown at you in this world, is nothing more than a road to freedom. Look, what an unbelievable promise in the power of heaven. We're given the promise of the finality of heaven, the power of heaven to make us immovable, steadfast people. But maybe most profoundly, we're given here uh, the resolution of heaven. That is heaven, it won't just end our pain. It will turn our pain in such a way that it will make it something uh, that we can possibly just sing about. Look what he says uh, in verse 54 and 55 again when Paul is quoting this hymn. He says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? These mocking questions. O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying here is that what uh, happens with Jesus, what Jesus goes through uh, in his cross and resurrection is a paradigm of what heaven is going to promise and bring in for us. And when he says the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, in the Corinthian letters, he's always talking about uh, Jesus becoming Lord through his death and what we now know in his resurrection. And, and that seems a routine for us in the modern church, but you have to uh, understand um, how that did not feel that way in the immediate moments of it happening uh, for us to get the promise of the resolution of heaven. See, the, the Gospel of Luke tells us that um, at the end, uh, when Jesus was dying on the cross, nobody sat there uh, at his death and thought, you know what? Uh, this is amazing right now. Uh, God is uh, forgiving all of our sins. He's atoning for everything that we've done wrong. Uh, he is doing away with our guilt and shame. In fact, you know what? Let's all gather around and hold hands and let's just sing together, lift high the cross. Uh, nobody did that. In fact, uh, when they saw Jesus die, they thought what you and I often think about hard things that happen to us, that this has no meaning. Uh, I don't understand why this is happening. Uh, this has got no answers. This has got no uh, meaning for anything. And they thought they had put their eggs in the wrong basket. And they thought that this was just utterly pointless. But when Jesus rose from the grave and uh, came back the third day, what happened was the early church looked back differently on what happened on Friday in that the, the resurrection changed how they viewed what had happened and that it became not just something that was sad and ended, but it became a victory for the early church so that they began to even uh, celebrate and sing songs about it and memorials about it. Do, do you know how weird this is for Christians, uh, that we sing songs to celebrate the death of Jesus? Um, no one else does this in the world. There's no one else that you know, we do this about. Uh, in fact, when we write songs about somebody's death, we always write in a tone that's like, you died too soon, or um, 
we don't know how to go on without you or you live such an amazing life that your legacy will carry on, um, that you lived a worthy life. We hope to, to imitate you in such a way. It's always this sort of uh, written in a, in, that we've lost something that we can't get back. But the early church like showed us that we sing about Jesus like this is the best thing that ever happened. Um, that his death and his crucifixion is a magnificent dance and celebration that we're going to have. And Paul is saying that that, friends, is going to be the story of the universe. And for you personally, that the saddest, hardest, difficult moments of your life are going to become like little Calvaries that you will look back on them one day, not just relieved that they're done and not just happy that heaven gave a a beautiful consolation, but you're going to realize that the worst thing that death and sin tried to throw at you, uh, it didn't sink you and make you just survive it. it. It sunk you deeper into God's love and gave you a greater victory than you could have ever had had you had not gone through that thing in itself. And then when that happens, um, death and sin and the devil are going to tremble in frustration like never before. Do you remember at the end of uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows when Harry and Voldemort are going back and forth and they're in the last battle and uh, Voldemort's trying to make sense of why the wand's not working for him and he's mocking Harry about Dumbledore's plan and he's saying all your attempts are just in vain, and everyone that uh, Voldemort or, or that Dumbledore recruited, I've undermined and I've out-recruited them. And he he's just screaming in frustration over it. And uh, he says, "Listen, everything Dumbledore tried to do, uh, I outdid it." And uh, Harry looks at him, and he tells him, "Do you understand why that your wand is not working?" And he says, Dumbledore's plan hasn't backfired on me. It's backfired on you. And what he's telling Voldemort is, listen, everything that you tried to do, it's not just going to uh, come up short, but you've been a pawn in Dumbledore's plan the whole time. And the very next line that J.K. Rowling recorded is she says, Voldemort's hand began to tremble. Because here's what he realizes. He goes, I'm not just going to lose, but I'm going to be made a fool because everything I tried to do actually just contributed to the plan of my enemy itself. And look, Paul is telling us that's exactly what's going to happen to all of us. That everything darkness tried to do for us, it's not just going to end. It's not just going to be made final. It's not going to be just thrown into a pit. We're going to sit and realize these are the some of the like like Jesus on the cross. These are like some of the best things that ever happened to us, and we may even write a poem about it. And nobody put it better than Dostoevsky when he said this: "I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for; that all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage, like the despicable fabrication of the impotent and infinitely small Euclidean mind of man." That in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all human hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, for all the blood that they've shed, 
that will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. So wherever you are this morning, in light of the heartache of this world, the pain of 2020, uh, the, the, just the canyon between humans right now in our souls, don't you want the world to end that way? Let me apply all of this in this just one simple way for, for us to go into the summer, um, maybe out of this text with this promise. Live your life like the best is yet to come. Listen, Christians, take the weight off of this world. Listen, take it off and, and know that the finality of heaven is coming. That something greater than you could have ever wanted out of this world is coming. And that the pain and sadness is going to be turned upside down and live like C.S. Lewis says, like this life, it really is, it's only the title and cover page. The great, the great story is coming. Let the promises of heaven free us to be a community that's immovable, steadfast, and always abounding in the work of the love because we know these promises of heaven are coming. Let me pray that the Holy Spirit would, would, would press us into this. Lord Jesus, cynicism is all over our streets and it is on many of our doorsteps believing, uh, why should we care anymore? Lord, would the promises of heaven guide our souls uh, and penetrate our church to live not for this world, uh, but for the one to come and freeing us to be immovable, steadfast, loving people uh, that truly are light in this dark world. Uh, Lord, burn these on our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.